First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto the lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Here's our verse that I was talking about. It is 1 Peter, it's not 2 Peter. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So I'll just look tonight at kind of an introduction to Peter, 1 Peter here. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that is ours. To it, that when the name Babylon was mentioned, it would generally understood that Rome was intended. The only reason Peter, which Peter could have had for mentioning the name Babylon at all, was to convey some definite and certain information to those to whom he wrote. Now, with that in mind, look at chapter 1 and verse 1 again. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers which are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, go to Acts chapter 2. Go to Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 9. Parthians, I don't know where Parthians, I didn't really look that up. And Medes. Where's Medes from? Huh? Persia. Persia, Mesopotamian area, okay? Persia, which would be modern-day Iran. Uh, that's Persia. Where? Modern-day what? Iraq. It's modern-day Iraq. Guess what? That's where Babylon is. Mesopotamia really means the land between the rivers, the river Tigris and the Euphrates, I think it is. So it's that area. Of course, Iraq has more than that, and and when Israel really gets all the land they're supposed to get, they're going to get half of Iraq, too. Uh, so that, that's the area. And then he says this, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, these are the places Peter mentions, Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, and then it goes on in Egypt and parts of Libya and about Cyrene. But Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Galatia, and Bithynia are all states that make up parts of modern Turkey. And of course, that's Asia Minor. So Peter is writing to those, and, and of course, he's, he says to the strangers scattered about in these places, you see, there were Jews in all those places. And they were gathered at Jerusalem one day at Pentecost, and they heard the gospel. And likely is, you know, we, the Bible really doesn't tell us this. The Bible tells us what we need to know, not what we have, you know, what we have to know for life and godliness. It doesn't tell us all the details about everything that happened. But the likelihood is that some of those people got saved and went back to their areas, and the disciples had ministry to them 
is, you know, maybe correspondence and churches were started. Now we know that, you know, Galatia, Paul wrote to the Galatians, that Galatians, again, is a region, it's like a state of modern Turkey. Uh, Cappadocia is, is also in the uh, eastern part, of, or middle eastern part of Turkey. Uh, Bithynia and Pontus are the northern si uh, side of that. Uh, so all these areas are in, in basically in Turkey, and Mesopotamia is, or, you know, Babylon would be right south of there. So these were places where the Jews had been scattered, and Paul had gone through part of that region and started churches you know, in Galatia. Um, you know, Paul had been uh, to Bithynia in that area. And, and if you would look up, you know, if, if you want to look up something interesting, uh, and I Googled this this afternoon, and I, I never knew this, but in Cappadocia, Cappadocia is a land of caverns. It's soft rock. And historians say that's where the Hittites dwelt first. And they, the, the rock is soft, and they, they cut caverns into the rock. It's beautiful, beautiful things. I'm not sure I'd want to live in a cave like that. But, but, and there are churches in these caverns, lots of them. And, of course, you know, um, of course, to our day and time, all of them have, had been taken over. You know, that whole area had been taken over by the Byzantine Empire and the Greek, Greek Orthodox Church. Churches since then have apostatized and, you know, taken over by Greek Orthodox. So they got a lot of imagery and stuff like that in them. But, but so there were churches in this area that Peter has written to. Uh, if you notice, he says strangers. The word stranger simply means uh, someone that, you know, leaves one land and goes to another. They're a stranger in that land, a pilgrim. Um, chapter 2, verse 11, Peter says about us, uh, yeah, chapter 2, verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You know, this, this, we are like pilgrims. We're like strangers in this world. This isn't our home. We're looking for a better, better country, Hebrews 11 tells us. So, so Peter wrote, I believe, from Babylon. Um, and, you know, Peter is spoken of more than any other person except Christ himself in the New Testament. 210 times his name is mentioned. 159 times as Peter, and that's, of course, the name Jesus gave to him. You know, he was the fisherman, the brother of Andrew, who introduced him to Jesus. Peter was naturally impulsive and presumptuous. You know, he was always the guy that's sticking his foot in his mouth. He was taught before he thought. Um, but he did have spiritual insight. You remember when Jesus said, Whom say ye that I am? It was Peter who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus said to him, and you know, many disciples went back and walked with him and no more in John chapter 6, and Jesus said, Will you also go away? And Peter said, whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. So, of course, it was also Peter. You know, we show how human he was. It was also Peter that Jesus said to, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things of the be of kingdom of God. Um, so, so, Peter was, a, was a, an apostle greatly used by the Lord and uh, spoken of uh, much in the New Testament. Of course, he was the apostle to the Jews, 
the Bible tells us. But I want you to notice here, he says, so he's writing to these people that are scattered, they're scattered strangers, that were scattered in these areas, that, you know, like I say, many time, most likely had heard the gospel before, there were probably churches in these areas. But he says in verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be, uh, be multiplied. You know, we are elect. Now, the word elect means chosen. Calvinism, if you ever heard of what of Calvinism and their five points, they have an acrostic, they call it tulip. And uh, each letter of tulip stands for a doctrine that they teach. Uh, the first one is total depravity. And they believe that you're so totally depraved that you cannot even choose of yourself to accept Christ as your Savior. God has to do the work for you. Um, the second one is... Uh, um, What is it? Unconditional election. Unconditional election. You see, the Bible says here that we're elect according to what? The foreknowledge of God. What's foreknowledge? God knows beforehand what will come to pass. So God knew before you were born that you would be born. And God knew before you knew that you're probably going to race motorcycles. And God knew before you did that you would get saved. God already knew it. He's God. Somebody said, you know, God never has to say, oops. It ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? He already knows. He, you know, he knew when he made Adam and Eve, he knew what they would do in the garden. He knew what they would do. He knew what Pharaoh was going to do. And yet he let Pharaoh make his own choices. But Pharaoh hardened his heart nine times. And then the Bible says God hardened his heart. So, so we are elect. God has foreknowledge. You and I don't have foreknowledge. You know, we might be able to say, well, you know, the car is going east. That means they're going to come out somewhere up the road here, east of here. You know, we can see, but we're, we're looking at something that's, you know, a, a, a trend. Um, but God has foreknowledge. He, you know, he, he predicts things thousands of years before they ever happen. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 17, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. It should be called Emmanuel. And 700 years later, the Virgin Mary conceives by the Holy Spirit and bears a son. So we are elect, notice, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit. Now, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace unto you and peace be nullified. So we are elect. We are chosen. But we are chosen through sanctification of the Spirit and obedience and sprinkling 
of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, when he talks about sanctification of the Spirit, of course, you're talking about, you know, the word sanctify means set up, to set apart. It's a work of the Spirit in regeneration. The Spirit of God is what draws us or convinces us of our need. Go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, let's read verse 4 also it says, But after that the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And then in John chapter 16, John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, and if I go not away, the Comforter, that's another name for the Spirit, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he was come, he will reprove the world of sin. And one of the, one of the descriptions I've heard about that, of that word reprove is, is to set a weight on. Did you ever, any of you boys ever catch a snake? Uh, you know, and one of the ways that the, you know, I catch a snake is with a spade shovel. <laughs> Cut his head right off. But, you know, a guy that wants to catch, a, a, let's say, a poisonous snake, usually they have a forked stick or something, and they, they set that thing right down behind its head. So, basically, they've trapped it. So, you know, so they, they, and, and that's the idea. They set a weight on, you know, and that snake's, he, he's, he's wiggling. He's trying to get away, but he can't. And so the idea here is, is reprove. You know, and, and, of course, we use the word convince or convict or make you feel guilt. This is true. That's the idea. And so the Spirit of, the, Spirit of God, or the Comforter, He will reprove, He will convince, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. So He's going to convince the world, He's going to convince sinners that they are sinners, that they have sin, and that sin is, is, is an offense against God, that, you know, that God is righteous. If we're going to have a relationship and, and, and go to heaven when we die, we've got to have righteous, we've got to be righteous. And that's not something that we can do. And, of course, that there's a judgment to come. So the Spirit of God has to, you know, when, when you're witnessing somebody, and, and it may be like, you know, it, there's, there's a wall there, they're not getting it, you know what's happening? The Spirit of God's not convincing them. You know, I've had people that you could just talk to, and it seems like it just goes over their heads. They don't get it. And, and there may be some reasons for that. So I think sometimes it's the, those people have heard it so often that the Spirit of God's quit working, quit convincing. Um, or they just can't seem to comprehend for some reason or other. You know, I talked to a guy one time, he was kind of druggy, you know, and he, and he looked like he was spaced. And that's, that's the look you get the whole time you're talking to him. It's just like it cannot seem to penetrate. And of course, you know, with drugs, there's usually a lot of demonism involved in drugs as well. But, but know that the Spirit of God, it, it, 
the Spirit of God is what convinces us. So we have the sanct, you know, so we are elect according to the foreigners of God through sanctification of the Spirit. Uh, uh, is what brings about regeneration. Makes us a new creature in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit of God works in our life and carries on a daily exercise of working to bring us to holiness. Notice, he says, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't sprinkle. Sprinkling is not a New Testament um, practice, but it was an Old Testament. And as you think about sprinkling in the Old Testament, not only did the blood have to be shed, but it had to be sprinkled on the mercy seat for it to have any effect. So really the idea of sprinkling here is it has to be applied. So for the word of God to have any effect, you've got to do what? You've got to apply it. You've got to apply it to your life. And that's the idea here. And of course, it's the Spirit of God who works in our hearts and applies it. Go to uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verse 12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. I want you to notice this phrase. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, and we could say by his spirit, the spirit of God works, which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he says to work out. How you work out your salvation. It doesn't say work to your salvation. He says work out. That means that something has to be in. So we've got to receive the word of God and yield to the spirit of God and allow him to apply those things to our lives by our yielding to him. And this is a daily process. Remember what Paul said when he was writing to Corinth, the, the church at Corinth who had you know, a lot of problems, and then he tried to instruct them and try and help them and show them how to do it. And this is what he said he said he had to do. Uh, and actually, I think it was Galatians. I die daily. In other words, every day, I've got to allow the word of God to work in my heart, let it yield to the spirit of God, and, and, and put into practice or apply what the word of God says. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. It talks about these, these things. Ephesians 4. And again, it's impossible to do this without the Word of God. Without the Word of God. That's why it's so important. We spend time in the Word of God and we be assembled together to hear the Word of God explained and, and um, manifested to us, as Titus tells us. Ephesians 4, um, verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. So, the idea of walking here speaks of progression, of growth. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. See, people are 
people are alienated or separated or away from God because they're ignorant. We talk about it in men's prayer, you know, about some of these guys that that are that you know are, are witnessing to some of their coworkers and how ignorant they are, how far away from God they are. They have no understanding of God. Why is it? Because they're ignorant. They're ignorant. They they didn't probably never been to a church. You know, some of them have read the Bible. One of them I know has read the Bible a couple of times, but he's never had anybody explain it to him. And you, one of the Bible principles is, like the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip, how can I accept some man you got? It's God's method to use other people to help us understand God's word. We pastors read commentaries and books all the time. Why? To help us understand God's word. Um, so they're ignorant. That's why they're that's why they're alienated or separated from God, and and that's what keeps us from drawing near to God is our ignorance. No, we need to learn of Him. So having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, this through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work on cleanness. And of course, these are products of ignorance uh, and willful ignorance. Work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. So now you've been enlightened. If so be ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And then now he's beginning to, begin to apply the word of God. That you put off concerning the old, the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So it starts in the mind. So we've got to put the word of God in our mind. We've got to learn of it. We've got to learn of him. We've got to have knowledge of him and his word. So we put it in our mind, and then notice what it says. And that you put on the new man, which, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And notice what the, the fruit of being renewed in the spirit of your mind is. Put away lying. Speak every man truth to his neighbor. See, when you learn from the word of God, thou shalt not bear false witness. That's, that's offense against the holy God. And you implant that in your mind. That's going to change the way you think and talk. Because the Spirit of God, if you're saved, the Spirit of God is going to convict you. He's going to convict you. If you tell a lie, he's going to convict you. He's going to set a weight on you. He's going to make you uncomfortable. I know from experience. <laughs> God make you uncomfortable when you do that which you know is wrong, is an offense against him. So it says, you know, so these, this is a practical outworking of what you put in your mind. It starts in your mind. That's where it starts. So you put on the new man, and it's, what if I put away lying, speak every man truth to his neighbor, for we are members one another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Now, he doesn't say that it's wrong to be angry. But there's a close relationship between anger and sin. Because many times when we get angry, we let our anger, or our anger controls us, and we do things that we wish we had not done, or say things we had, wish we had not said. And so it becomes sin. 
and it becomes an offense against God. So he says, be angry and sin not. Jesus was angry at times. You know, some people say, well, you should never get angry. Well, I can read the newspaper and get mad. I can listen to, well, I don't. But, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I get all, and then the news I read is, is usually on the Internet or maybe a newspaper once in a while. We, we've been getting free newspapers. I'm not sure why. But, uh, but you know, I, I read uh, uh, some news online and some of it makes me angry. But it doesn't cause me to sin. Now, I'm not saying that I've never sinned when I got angry. I'd have to go to the altar tonight, spend the rest of the night there. But, but uh, you know, th there is a relationship. So, so Jesus got angry at times, but we have to be careful about that. Uh, then verse 28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands a thing which is, which is good, that he may have to give, that he, give to him that needeth. You know, when a, when a person is, is born again, they ought to have a desire to earn their own keep. It's wrong to live off and bum off of somebody else who's really stealing. This philosophy that, that, that many in our world today have, that, that, that we ought to that we ought to take from the rich and give to the poor? It's a government program of stealing is what it is. Jesus didn't teach that. In fact, Jesus said, you know, when somebody said to him, you know, this could have been sold and given to the poor, he said, you'll have the poor always with you. You know, what was the saying? You know, like, like I've heard, uh, Rush Limbaugh said one time, he said, you could start people out equally, a rich man and a poor man, and put them back to equal terms, and a few years that rich man is going to have money again, that poor man is still going to be poor. It has to do with their character and their philosophy of life. Not the privileges that one has. You know, people have come to this country with nothing and become wealthy. And people that are born here and are poor are always poor. Uh, verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and so on. So, so again, it all begins in the mind, and it's the work of the Spirit as it goes into the mind, and, and, and the Spirit of God puts it to practice in everyday life. So we need that sanctification of the Spirit, that setting apart of things that are evil, and setting ourselves apart unto that which pleases the Lord. And this, again, is a daily exercise. Paul said here to the Ephesians, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And so, again, the importance of spending time daily in the word of God. Uh, and then in verse, uh, let me go back to my text here. He goes on and talks about obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. So again, this, this allusion to sprinkling has to do with it must be applied. I have to make these things mine. You know, a lot of people that you will talk to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross. And, you know, I've been to church, but the problem is they haven't made Jesus, the shedding of Jesus' blood and his sacrifice for sin, their own. 
They haven't applied it. Again, you know, the priest could kill the lamb and catch the blood in a basin. That's what they did. But for that blood to have any effect, he had to apply it on the, um, uh, the altar. He had to take it within the veil and put it on the, on, uh, on the Ark of the Covenant there to make an atonement for their sin. You see, we have to exercise our will and surrender it to him. That's what salvation really is. That's what repentance is. It's an exercise of the will. And when we exercise our will, what we're really doing is choosing to receive God's gift of eternal life and the shedding of his blood to, for the payment for our sin. But you know, we have to do that daily also. Uh, and it's just like, go to, go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. It's like anything else in life. It requires an application of the Word of God to our life. And we talked a little bit about this in, in the first part. But, but, but taking the Word of God and making it my own. And my experience has been, you know, I've, I can hear somebody teach it, teach a certain doctrine, but when I study it for myself, then it really becomes mine. Then I really understand it. Um, so, so look at the Hebrews 5, verse, verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. For strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, you know, like on visitation, and one of the things we want to do with some of the Bible studies that we're doing is, you know, take somebody that, that understands it, that's mature, and take somebody that's younger in the Lord along. And what you do is by, you know, I take these boys along when we go in visitation. What, what are you doing? By them being along, they're learning how to answer every man of the reason of the hope that lieth within you with meekness and fear. You know, I like, one of the things I like to do is we have a, a guest preacher where Brother Forney was here or somebody else is, and if we, if we happen to have visitation while they're here, I like to go with them to see how they answer people, to see how they talk to people. And, you know, one of the things that, that helps you is, is, when, you know, is to exercise what you know. How do you exercise? You have to, have to be challenged. You have to be tested. You go out on visitation, people start asking you questions. How do, you, how do you know that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, the Bible says so. Is that going to satisfy him? No, but if you can take him to the Bible and say, in John chapter 8, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. 
Or you go to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, and the Word was made flesh. Oh, the Word was God. John chapter 20, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. You see. Uh, no, we need, we need to have our senses exercised. And of course, having our faith tried and having our, our, our uh, understanding of God's word tries helps us to learn what is right and what is wrong and to prove. Well, you know, Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us to be transformed by the removing of your mind that you may prove what is that a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, so the, we have to apply the word of God. We have to exercise it. We have to put it into practice. You know, a Christianity that doesn't have application to life is a farce. It's a farce. It's not real. No, it needs to be exercised. It needs to be practiced. It has to be applied to the life. And so, you know, Jesus Christ's sacrifice is of no use to us if we don't apply it to our life. First of all, through salvation, and then by daily being obedient to those things that he's instructed us in, and daily finding cleansing through the precious blood of Christ. You know, that's what First John, First John uh, 1-7 really is about. It's about daily allowing the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all sin. Verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. You know, that's not a salvation verse, really. It's talking about when I sin, I confess my sin, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. So again, it's an application of what we know the Word of God says to our life. So might God help us. You know, we are... Strangers and pilgrims. We're to be different from the world around us. We are chosen by God through the Spirit. Chosen to be vessels under honor, sanctified and meet for the Master's use. But to be that, we have to apply His Word to our lives. You know what that means? It means we have to put forth some effort. We have to feed on his word. Study it. I know that's a word you don't like. Study. Study is the weariness of the flesh. Solomon said. Uh, it takes work. But the dividends are worth the work. Might God help us to study his word and apply it to our life that we might be conformed to the image of a son. Let's pray.